Welcome into another episode of Running for the Roses, talking all things college football. I'm Ryan Baffle Lucas, joined by Lucas Rohde. An off week for us last week. I was uh, out of town at a work conference early in the week, and we had some scheduling issues on Thursday and Friday. Uh, but we're back a little, little early this week. We got a lot to talk about. We have we have Power Five coaching vacancies piling up like crazy, and somehow none of them are Brian Harson. Um, we have, um, we're about a third of the way through the season for most teams, most teams have about four games. Um, so we're at kind of one of those tent pole times in the season. We'll kind of get into how we view things here after, uh, a third of the season. And then, uh, an interesting week five slate, which could be a little, uh, weather inhibited as a, uh, a massive storm brewing, uh, along the, uh, Eastern coasts of the United States. But first, Mr. Rody, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well. I'm happy to be back. I missed uh, I missed our weekly uh, fireside chats um, last God. week. <laughs> I'm wearing a tank top. You, I, obviously, no one can see the audio. I'm wearing a tank top because it's 104 degrees today in Arizona. You're wearing a uh, jacket. Is it is it fall in Nashville or is it still summertime? It, it's starting to become fall. Last week, we actually had the latest 100-degree day in the history of Nashville. It hit 100 last Wednesday, um, but then it, it, it cooled off. Today, this morning, when I woke up, I, I literally have not changed since this morning. That's what happens when you work from home is you can – I have joggers on underneath this, like sweatpants. There we go. <laughs> uh, a sweatshirt. It was 55 degrees when I woke up this morning to uh, to walk the dogs, and I have not changed since. But it's starting to get fall. Um, fall here is much different than in the Midwest. Um, fall here is when uh, it doesn't – basically stays into the eighties until October. Um, but now we're starting to get some seventies. So it's some leaves are starting to change color. So it finally feels like that time of the year. All right. Well, a uh, little run of show for us. We're going to skip over the roses this week because we have two, uh, two coaching vacancies to go over Arizona state fires Herm Edwards a week ago. And then this afternoon, Georgia tech makes it official firing Jeff Collins. We'll go into our, uh, our week four recap with some stock up, stock down, and some overarching questions here through four weeks of the season. And then a, uh, a week five preview. We have Alabama, Arkansas on SEC. We have uh, game day going to Clemson for Clemson and NC State. Uh, some intriguing games across the country. Uh, so, Lucas, let's start with something that I uh, we, we would have talked about last week had we done a show. It's, it's a program near and dear to both of our hearts. The Arizona State Sun Devils pulled the plug on Herm Edwards uh, three games into year five. Sun Devils just looked atrocious in a, uh, a really bad loss to Eastern Michigan two weeks ago. And then uh, eight days ago on Sunday, the 20th. Uh, I'm sorry, on the, uh, the 18th, uh, Herm Edwards uh, fired. Well, fired, maybe not, resigned. Mutually agree to part ways, whatever you say. Herm Edwards, not the uh, the head coach of Arizona State. Sean Aguano, the interim coach. If you're curious, ASU got completely jack stomped this week. They lost to Utah 34 13. It wasn't even that close. So, new, new, new coach, same result for the uh, <laughs> the Sun Devils. Lucas, um, I obviously, obviously have a lot of thoughts on this, but I will let you kind of go first. And, and uh, what were your impressions of uh, the firing and some of the candidates and some of the narratives around this job 
I mean, the writing was just kind of on the wall. I mean, we, we talked about just kind of the, I felt like Herm Edwards just this year was just kind of a, a lame, a lame duck situation with the NCAA investigations that are, that are still going on. And what we all think is going to be maybe some severe sanctions headed towards ASU. It just felt like they were keep, at least in my opinion, just felt like you were keeping them around. Cause I don't know the high caliber of candidate you were going to get to inherit that program. And with all the players that left out and not just like just players like bench players, but high key contributors from this team for the last couple of years um, and, and highly productive starters that all left when there was no coaching change or anything like that. You had five new assistants coming in to the program this year too. It just had to happen. That, that Eastern Michigan performance, I didn't really watch it a lot because I believe it was on Pac-12 Network. So it's just kind of a, it was probably a good thing um, for most people. But just looking, watching the highlights, it's just inexcusable. Um, Eastern Michigan this week just got beat by an 0-3 Buffalo team by by 19 points at home. I didn't even know that. That's unbelievable. Eastern Michigan <laughs> lost to Buffalo this week by yes. 19. Yes. Oh, my God. Um a oh Buffalo my. team that had one loss this year to a, to FCS Holy Cross, by the way, and uh, Eastern Michigan just beat Boston them by night. Holy Cross has a, Holy at Cross has a transit property win over ASU. Gosh. ASU, yes. So, um, yeah, no, it, it just had to happen. I, my personal feeling is I don't know how great of an you feel as an ASU fan with Ray Anderson still potentially making the next hire. Um, We've talked about ASU being like a potentially good job. Some people call it a sleeping giant, but my opinion is if you've been called a sleeping giant now for the last three or four hiring cycles, there might just be some internal issues. And I know you're probably going to go at nauseum about them, but it, it was a move that had to happen. He was already on thin water on the hot seat this year. And when you're a power five team, you just can't lose to a team like Eastern Michigan um, like that with all this. This wasn't your first year in the program, this was his fourth season. Like this is when you should have had all your ducks in a row, your system in place, all your players, recruits, everything. And if, if anything, the the program's in a worse spot than it was four years ago when he took over for Todd Graham. The program is most definitely in a worse spot. I know a lot of ASU fans. I have a lot of family that have been longtime season ticket holders, longtime supporters. And, Almost all of them canceled their tickets this year or did not renew. There's so much apathy with this fan base over the last handful of years because of the poor recruiting, because of the underachieving. Um, I am at first I was a little surprised that Ray Anderson actually pulled the trigger. I thought they may have to fire Ray to fire Herm, kind of like what Georgia Tech did, where the the AD and the coach were both gone. I I don't know what Ray Anderson's future is with the Arizona State Sun Devils. Um, our friend Josh Nashon texted us that he is the second highest paid athletic director in the country, which is baffling to me. Um, when you fire a coach in week three, I mean, it's it's a wasted season, Lucas. I mean, yeah. they had every ability to fire him at the end of last year. You underachieved. You went eight and five. You had the investigation hanging over your head. You had transfers, whatever. And I again, I don't know what kind of caliber coach you would have gotten at that point. It's the same caliber of coach you're going to get now, right? Mm-hmm. The investigation hasn't concluded. There's been no ruling by, by the NCAA. So you have wasted now another year where you could have had a new coach try to build some positive momentum, uh, 
reinvent, you know, reinvigorate the fans, you know, high school recruiting, everything that has fallen off over the last, you know, 16 to 18 months with this program, you, you could have started the path earlier. Um, I respect the fact they fired Herm because that's what programs should do, right? When you have, when you have a coach in Herm's position and you put on that just drastic performance against Eastern Michigan, that, that terrible performance against Eastern Michigan, yes, good programs fire you after that game. So I was happy that it happened. Um, as far as where the program is now, I think ASU is kind of an interesting job because I think ASU is a great job for all the reasons that like a, that like an SEC job is not right. You're in a major city in Phoenix, Arizona with, I mean, you can drive 30 minutes and you can be at 25 different really good schools that are going to probably can, can, that can give you some players, right? You're in a major city. It's, it's easy to fly recruits in as Herm Edwards and that staff know Um, it's, it's easy to, you know, the number one player in the class of 2024 is at Chandler High School. Dylan Riola, a quarterback who's committed to Ohio State. Saguaro has players in the NFL like Christian Kirk and Byron Murphy, right? Um, I was listening to Football Scoop, their, uh, their, their podcast, and they said that over the last four recruiting classes, so 2019, 20, 21, 22, the state of Arizona produced an average of, of like 26 FBS players, uh, FBS or, or power five players a season. Hmm. Arizona state did not sign a top 10 player in any recruiting class in the state of Arizona under Herm Edwards. They completely abandoned the state. Now I can go for an hour on, on Arizona recruiting. So I won't get into that. They abandoned their home state. And that is an issue. It was an issue with the local coaches, with the local media It's not good. However, um, you know, other other pros for the job. Sorry to get off on a little tangent. Other pros for the job: <laughs> winnable conference, um, good good geography, um, a fan base that I don't think has very high expectations. Like the fan base wasn't totally ready to run Todd Graham out in 2017, right? That was the AD that wanted the program to be better and made a bad hire. Like if you win six or eight six to eight games a year, occasional nine ten win season, you like you. you you go to bowl games, you play some fun football, like you're going to be here for a while. It's not the SEC where if you go six and six in year one that you're like, you're on the hot seat. It's, it's just not, right? The reason why it might not be a desirable job is I don't know what the resources for this program are. I, I don't know what your administration support is. I don't think Michael Crow cares about football. I don't think, I don't know if Ray Anderson does. So, and that is an issue for a lot of coaches because a lot of coaches don't want that hindrance of being told, no, Hey, I can't fly private to go see a recruit in California on a Friday night and then fly private back stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the candidate pool will be interesting. Um, it will be interesting to see what direction they go and, and kind of when they go to it. Who would be your, uh, your top three off the top of your head? <sighs> Realistic candidates, I should yeah. say. Obviously, you can have a, a dream three, but top three realistic that you think are out there. So, the name that I think comes up in terms of being realistic and I think would be a good fit would be Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen is an ESPN analyst, former Florida coach. Dan Mullen was fired because he wouldn't recruit at the level of Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. 
I'm sorry, 125 other coaches are going to get fired. Then, right. We'll see if it works with Billy Napier. Who knows? They're, they're two and two. Um, Dan Mullen is a national championship coordinator. He had a really successful program at Mississippi state develops quarterbacks, plays a fun offense. And I think he could be a good fit here. And he's a guy that's available. So if you wanted to hire him the Monday after Thanksgiving, boom, like mm-hmm. he can step in. I think that's an interesting name. Um, I'm looking through uh, Bruce Feldman's. I think Kalani Sataki is, a, is an interesting mid-major guy. I, I don't think that's really realistic. I think he's kind of a BYU guy through and through. But that's another like G5 um, head coach. Uh, that I think could be could be kind of interesting. Um, I don't think Jonathan Smith is is a guy that is is terribly realistic. I don't know why he kind of makes a lateral move from Oregon State to Arizona State. Bill O'Brien could be an interesting name, uh, Alabama offensive coordinator. Again, I think that's you know ASU is tough because I do think there will be interest, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Sean Lewis from Kansas State would be awesome. Right, you're not getting Mike Norvell though. Um, my guess is they're going to go with somebody with with head coaching experience. Um, so, like, I don't think Kel- Kenny Dillingham from Oregon or Alex Grinch from USC, the coordinators there, are super realistic. Um, and I don't necessarily think it, it needs to be somebody with West Coast ties. Like, I don't think it does because there isn't really like a surefire. West Coast G5 coach, right? Like Caleb DeBoer left Fresno to go to Washington last year. Like that was probably going to be the closest thing. Boise State's probably going to fire their coach in in the uh, in in the you know in in the early winter. So it'll be interesting. I mean, we've seen Ray Anderson go outside of the box for a lot of these hires, and that kind of worries me. What about you? <laughs> yeah, no, I think you kind of mentioned some of the names. Uh, I would love it if you could go after you know uh, like a Jamie Chadwell. Or you know our guy Dave Clawson. If uh, oh, don't get me don't get me excited. <laughs> I think a, I think ASU if they didn't have these sanctions coming down their breath might be something that he would look at. Um, unless I mean he also just has a really good setup at Wake Forest that I think would be tough to leave. But um, I think those guys you mentioned on somebody like for me it's you know can you get depending on what the sanctions are, what if they're one, two years or something like that? Maybe instead of trying to fork a ton of money to try to get maybe a big name, maybe you're like, Hey, let's get somebody on a cheap contract that will just wants a power five job, like a Sean Lewis at Kent state, probably would take that job. If he was offered, you probably don't have to pay him a ton ton of money. It doesn't work out in two, three years. Then you at least get a coach to get you through the sanctions when those are gone, I think the job becomes uh, a much, uh, much more valuable and much more attractive. And then you can just cut ties maybe with a cheaper coach, small buyout, and then you can kind of start from scratch there. Maybe with a new AD, it's a good way maybe to cut ties with Ray Anderson because that would be two hires in a row that that have failed under him. But um, no, I, I'm just intrigued to see who they, they get because like we mentioned, I think Without the the looming sanctions, it's I think it's it's, it's a good job, um, but with it, I think he might get some guys who are like, will either go for other opportunities or might just wait another year um, to see what else is out there. And I also think you have to ask the question: What conference is ASU in? 
Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, that's a good point. Are you in the Mountain West? Are you in the Big 12? Because that is a huge, I think that uncertainty, right? At least we know, and we'll get to Georgia Tech here in a second. At least we know Georgia Tech's going to be in the ACC. Yeah. We, like, we don't know what the future of the Pac-12 is. I mean, the, I think the playoff expanding is a good thing for schools like ASU and Nebraska and Georgia Tech trying to hire coaches, but um, you don't know who your future opponents will be. You don't know what the Pac-12 looks like. You, you might you might be playing games in West Virginia in 2025, right? <laughs> so I think that's another kind of wrinkle that, like, we just don't – you just don't know. I, um, I mean, I was going to say because we just heard – I think it was last week or the week before, the Big 12's commissioner literally just said the teams we're looking at are in the Pacific and Mountain time zones. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> – um, at first when I, when I, when this, when I was dissecting this, I, I was like, I don't know how good the job is, but I listened to that football scoop podcast and they were like, this is a incredibly desirable job because of the location, because of the conference, because of the, um, you don't have to drive a car four hours to see a recruit, a major recruit in state anymore. Like you just don't, um, the one name that I will I will bring up and that has been brought up for both this job and the the Georgia Tech job is Deion Sanders. And this is my thing on, on Deion Sanders is if school wants to hire Deion Sanders. I don't have any problem with it, but I would like that school to actually do their homework on Deion Sanders. Go to Jackson State, talk to his team, talk to the coaches there, talk to the opposing staffs, talk to people that have coached against him that have been recruiting against him is he an actual good coach is he a program builder you know what i'm saying like don't just buy into coach prime because we want to win the press conference and raise some money in the spring right like because we see this all the time and like we're going to get to some of my stock downs some of these new coaches that got these big contracts and it's like you know rinse lather repeat like it's just like same thing, right? Or wait, lather, rinse, repeat. Like, it's the same thing. So, and guess what? You kind of did that with Herm Edwards. The whole, like, CEO, celebrity coach, like, that was Herm Edwards. Not to the degree that Deion Sanders is. Like, Sanders, I think, has a higher profile name, especially with, like, young, like younger people. But the whole thing of, like, hire a celebrity coach, give them good coordinators, that's what they tried to do. Billy Napier left you to get a head coaching job. You know, Danny Gonzalez left to go get a head coaching job. Like, this isn't the SEC where you can keep guys like Arkansas with Barry Odom and, you know, Kendall Bryles. You have to understand where you're at as a program. ASU has to understand where they are at. Um, all right, so Georgia Tech now fires uh, Jeff Collins. Um, Jeff Collins in year four, just a disastrous tenure, really, for Jeff Collins. And listen, like, Certainly an uphill battle, right? He he is coming off the triple option, so he has to rework a lot of the roster. This is pre-transfer portal. You have a COVID year, I think, heading into his second year was COVID. Um, but the program had no life, had no juice. He had these weird sayings and these weird things and marketing. And I was reading a lot of stuff around the the Georgia Tech thing today people just thought he was more of like a marketer than a coach. And he mm -hmm. had these sayings and, you know, he, he, he did a good job with the fans, but the, there was no improvement. They did not recruit well. And certainly there are obstacles at Georgia tech, right? It's, it's not like you can go into any house in Atlanta and get any offer, any kid. I understand that, but like Arizona state, like the jobs are very similar, like major markets, 
you're not in the SEC or the Big Ten. The difference with Georgia Tech is you have two games every year, you're probably going to lose. Clemson and Georgia. And that's an issue. That's an issue. And like you mentioned, like you can't go to every Atlanta high school or every high school in general with Georgia Tech and recruit every player. Because um, another thing they have different with, with uh, Arizona State is they have much higher academic requirements. <sighs> yes, they do. <laughs> Not just for their students, but also for their athletes. So you're going to have to go out and recruit a specific type of kids. But like you mentioned, though, it's still a major city and it's in arguably arguably one of the most talent rich states in the entire country. And you're right next to Florida, which might be the most talent rich state in the entire country. And yeah, you mentioned with Jeff Collins kind of being more of a marketer. I remember when he first got on the job, there was a ton of energy in that program. I know he was bringing local R&B and, and rappers from Atlanta to come help promote Georgia Tech to recruits. And yeah, there was kind of a buzz around the program that he might be the perfect guy for it, but it just never worked out. I mean, this was the worst, I think, three-year coaching tenure of any coach in Georgia Tech's history. Um, and we kind of give them crap for running the triple option as a power five team, but all he did was go to a couple orange bowls. They actually, they were actually in a few ACC title games. <laughs> like they were much more competitive and were on a much bigger scale than what they are now. Um, but like we said, I think you got to find the right type of guy who knows how to recruit the right type of kids for this job. Cause it's not for everyone. And I think kind of like ASU too, I just don't know. I think the administration wants to be serious about football. I just don't know if they know how to be serious about football. And um, I think the thing that sucks is versus ASU, at least you don't have the defending national champs as your in-state rival <laughs> that you're going to be compared against every single time. You mentioned with, with, with ASU that you don't think the fan base will have big expectations. I think that's going to be the complete op- – I think Georgia Tech knows what they are. But I still think they want to at least be somewhat competitive versus Georgia, which means you pretty much have to be a top five to top ten team now. If that's I also case. just – I hate the conversations of like, well, what is this program? What can this program be? Okay. You know, what were people talking about Wake Forest before Dave Clawson got there, right? Or or Stanford before Jim Harbaugh, right? Yeah. Or Dabo Sweeney before he got to Clemson. Like Clemson was a middle-tier ACC program. Like – if you hire the right guy, it's mm-hmm. but like these coaching searches are it's a broken process. You know, ADs and search firms get hyper focused on one or two candidates. They don't cast a wide net. And that's how you have people like Lance Leipold end up being almost 60 and just breaking into the power five. Lance Leipold's a guy that every school is going to be calling. And, and yep. we've been on the Lance Leipold train for, for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't think Lance Leipold's leaving Kansas for any one of these three jobs. I mean, no. maybe Nebraska, but I doubt that, right? So, like, um, I think – so looking at some candidates for uh, Georgia Tech, here's from The Athletic, uh, Bruce Feldman. Uh, sitting head coaches, Deion Sanders, Jeff Munkin, Jamie Chadwell, Charles Huff, Sean Lewis, uh, Kane uh, Womack from South Alabama. Offensive coordinators, Bill O'Brien, Todd Munkin, Alex Atkins – and then other names to watch, Georgia run game coordinator Del McGee, Eric Henderson, the L.A. Rams defensive line coach, or Bill Clark, former UAB coach. I think there's – first of all, I think it's a really good list for Georgia Tech. Yeah. Like, I mean, Bill O'Brien, Todd Munkin, Dion, 
The guy that I would go after, and I think it's a no-brainer, is Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina. Because what Coastal Carolina runs, Coastal doesn't run the triple option, but they run kind of a shotgun. It's 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 a, a lot of concept. It's triple, triple option-esque. It's Correct. Like kind of off that tree. And I think at Georgia Tech, you need somebody that's going to be a little bit more creative. You're not going to get the same players that Clemson and Georgia are. Right, but you can get smart players that know the system, and you like look at what look at what Lance Leipold's doing. You watch Kansas; like they're a fun team. Their offense is fun. They're explosive. They're getting guys in space. Like that's what Jamie Chavel does at Coastal Carolina. They score a lot of points. Like doesn't mean you're going to develop a lot of pros or whatever, but like you could be fun and win six to eight games a year. So Jamie Chavel to me, like unlike ASU, I don't think ASU has an obvious. Like, this is the guy I think is going to be get the job. Like, I don't think Dan Mullen's going to be the coach. That's who I would like because I think he checks some boxes and is, is gettable. Partly because he doesn't have a, he doesn't have a job right now. <laughs> but Jimmy Chadwell, I think, is is kind of a no-brainer. I mean, the Dion stuff aside, which I'm guessing they will go after Dion, especially because he's a legend in that city playing for the Falcons, right? Um, I think Jamie Chadwell will be a really, really nice hire at Georgia Tech. Yeah, I've... I still can't believe Jamie Chadwell did not get a job last year um, or really the year before. I just think, and I feel like no one's talking about Coastal Carolina this year, and I believe they're undefeated 4-0 um, after they, I believe they crushed uh, Georgia State this past week. But no, I, I agree with you. I, I would circle in on him. I think Dan Mullen would make a lot of sense just in that part of the, just because he, he coached in Florida, he recruited Georgia. Um, you know, like you mentioned, I think you just got to get someone who's going to be fun because Georgia Tech was the very, uh, very opposite of fun. You watch that game. This is the only <laughs> game I really watched of them this year was Clemson and like just no offense, just there, there's just, they had no identity whatsoever. Um, I've always said, even, even if you're going to be 500, people will, you will stay longer. If you're 500, you score a ton of points and you're at least like entertaining versus if you're like 500 and you're like this grinded out defensive minded team. Um, so I think an offensive mind like Jamie Chadwell would, would make a ton of sense. And um, like I said, I'm just interested to see how much they're willing to pay to get a really good uh, type quality coach. Uh, but I feel like this is the type of job that you know, uh, Chadwell's from this, that part of the country. He's been coaching you know, out of South Carolina I agree with you. I think he makes a lot of sense and checks a lot of boxes for them. So let me ask you this real quick as we kind of wrap this up. We have three Power 5 jobs open in three different conferences. Nebraska, Arizona State, and Georgia Tech. Taking your Big Ten bias out aside, and I'll try to take my Pac-12 bias, you're <laughs> offered all three jobs. Which job do you take? Uh, I'm taking uh, Nebraska. Interesting, because uh, I think I'm taking Arizona State, but go on. So – I understand. So my thing is if I'm taking a head coaching job, the, the the only issue Nebraska has is it's not in a hot recruiting area. To me, it has everything else it wants. It has a loyal fan base, which we've talked about ASU. Just ASU, ASU has a fan base. I don't know. It's, it's not Nebraska's. You're not, it's not nearly out. the size of Nebraska's either. <laughs> uh, where at least with Nebraska, you're going to play in front of 90,000 people every single Saturday. You're going to have all the resources. They've got a great NIL, NIL program lined up, which, you know, we've talked about ASU 
just being behind the complete eight ball when it's come to, to NIL. I think that's huge. You're going to get paid a lot more money to coach Nebraska than you will at ASU, largely because of the Big Ten money, and it's Nebraska. And I think I think there's going to be a lot of coaches who want to be the coach that turns that program back around and gets it back to prominence. And look, I think you like Nebraska, like our generation probably doesn't really know much how great that program was, but I think the name still resonates with a lot of people. I think most people still have a, a positive impression about Nebraska. Um, and like I said, you're going to get everything that you want. You're going to be able to get the assistance that you're going to want to bring in everything. Um, so that's why I would take Nebraska out of all three of those jobs. Cause I think they can make up with recruiting with, they're going to have a massive recruiting budget anyway. Um, and really try to bring anybody that they want with, with NIL. So I would take that. I would probably go Nebraska, Arizona state, and then Georgia tech, just cause I think Georgia yeah. tech with the academics. And then like you mentioned, you got to play Clemson and Georgia every year. It's just, I think it's a tougher job than people think it is. Georgia Tech, I think is 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 number three by far, and I and I think ASU and Nebraska, you can kind of flip flop depending, because I do think it's a like a little bit like when I said the ASU pros are like the what the cons are in the SEC, right? And it's a little bit like Nebraska proximity to recruits, um, not a ton of talent in your state. I think, I mean, Arizona's got a decent amount of talent and it's all in the Phoenix metro area for the most part. You're right next to California. You're decently close to Texas. You're decently close to Nevada. The recruiting ground is, is more, is, is better. But if you're falling behind with NIL, if you don't have, you know, the resources from your administration, stuff like that might not really matter where you're located. And you made a good point earlier where it's like, if you're considered a sleeping giant, for 15 years. I mean, I've been hearing ASU is a sleeping giant because of it has attractive women for 15 <laughs> years. I swear it's, it infuriates me I, every time I hear it. Oh my God. You know, all the girls on mill Avenue, they're so hot. Why can't ASU be good? Are, like, are we just sitting here being like, there's no attractive girls that like in the sec or the big 10, like, come on. <laughs> That's It's the worst argument. I, I, I always hear of like, ASU's got to be good because look at all the sororities. It's like, come on, man. We've all been on Bama Rush TikTok. Like, there are plenty of attractive, <laughs> plenty of attractive girls in the SEC. Ugh. All right, man. Speaking of Bama, uh, I guess they're not really a stock up or stock down. I was trying to do a cool segment. They played Vandy. They crushed They Vandy. beat Vandy 55 to 3. Vandy, I, I almost picked as my upset Vandy plus 40 and a half, and good thing I didn't. <laughs> oh man uh, alright we're going to do our, our little week four look back uh, stock up stock down I will let you go first Lucas as I try so, to finish calculating mine so uh, go ahead <laughs> so I'm going to start with stock up one of the bigger games of the weekend uh, Tennessee Florida I'm taking Tennessee stock up 4-0 only the second time they've beaten Florida in the last 18 years um, this was a fun game. Uh, Hendon Hooker, I think, is helping his Heisman candidacy. He did this, had a monster game, 349 yards through the air, over 100 on the ground, did it all without their best wide receiver, Cedric Tillman, out with injury. Um, and this game was a little bit further than what the score indicated. This was a 17-point game uh, at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, Tennessee just kind of let up some, uh, some touchdowns late in garbage time. And almost blew it with not recovering an onside kick as well. 
Um, but uh, Tennessee 4 0. Um, I think this team, we both like them. We both took the over at seven. And, I think it was, was it seven and a half or eight and a half wins? I think it was seven and a half. But uh, no, they're, I mean, they're looking good. You look at the rest of their schedule, they got, they got a, a tough stretch at Death Valley in two weeks. They're on bye this week. And then if they're five and oh, just imagine the hype train for uh, the third weekend in, in uh, third Saturday in, in October. They play Alabama uh, two games from now. Is that a home game or a road game for Tennessee? It's a home game. That's oh, in, man, that uh, that's at nuts. Nielsen Stadium. That so, is going to be nuts. So, but we'll see. But yeah, stock up on the, on the volunteers this week. Um, question for you. Do you think yes. they're the third best team in the SEC or would you still put Kentucky there? Because watching That's the tough. games, watching the games, it looks like Tennessee. And I know I just, I, it's biased because it looks better. It's faster. The yes. ball's moving. Hendon Hooker, I think, is a better college quarterback than Will Levis at this point. Kentucky's just so solid. Do you know where is that game? Is that in, in Knoxville or is that in Lexington? That game is this year. I think it's in Knoxville. It is. So that is uh, Halloween weekend. Uh, they play Kentucky um, in Knoxville. Um, cause they beat them last year. I remember in Lexington, if yeah. I remember right. No, I, I would say right now, um, but I hate it. I'm going to talk about Kentucky probably later on in our picks this week. Cause they take on Ole Miss. Um, I want to see Kentucky with Chris Rodriguez. He has not played all year. Um, you know, all SEC running back, arguably probably their best offensive player, um, He's playing this week, I believe, against Old Miss. Um, he's back from suspension. So I want to see how they do because um, I don't know how good Florida is. That's really their biggest win. Otherwise, they've played Miami, Ohio, Youngstown State, and Northern Illinois, where at least, you know, Tennessee's gone on the road. They beat a pretty good Pitt team. Yeah. Uh, and then they beat Florida last yeah, Florida. week, I thought, uh, rather uh, handily. So I will say that, um, especially with Arkansas losing this past week. Um, but I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pencil it in just because I, every time we doubt Kentucky, they surprise us. So I think we just yeah. have to get used to the fact they're just a solid, a very above average program now. Uh, Tennessee was one of my stock ups. So we're on the same page there. Love <laughs> watching them play. It's a fun team. Uh, Hendon Hooker has to be in the Heisman conversation. I don't know if he's a top three, top four guy, but he is, he puts up insane numbers and is awesome to watch. I'm going to go stock up uh, for my first one. And I'm going to go a guy that's caught a lot of flack over the last handful of years, you know, last year. And then some of this year, I'm going to go DJ Ungalale from, uh, from Clemson. Clemson. If you missed it, beats Wake Forest in double overtime, 51, 45, doesn't, doesn't cover the spread, which we'll get to in a, in a, a little bit. <laughs> DJ Ungalale completed 63% of his passes, 371 passing yards, and five touchdowns, and they needed it. Wake was torching this Clemson secondary, yes. like torching them. Sam Hartman threw for six touchdowns. He was awesome in this game. I almost did like a stock up for both of them, but like I think DJ, he's cutting a lot of flack. Well, you know, last He already has more touchdowns this year than he did all of last year. Uh, last year, I had nine touchdowns, 10 interceptions. And that was the big question for Clemson. We thought their defensive line would be good. Um, we, th- I like um, Will Shipley. He runs really hard. Yes, hard. Um, they have the receivers. I still have some questions, and God is pretty good, but I, I question some depth there at receiver. But 
if DJ plays like that, man, they're going to win a lot of games, like potential playoff team, like uh, caliber. Um, if he can play like that now, got some questions on this defense. You're giving up 45 to wake and Sam Hartman just thrashing you. But DJ Ungle, I think that's one of those games where Clemson wins the game with their subpar unit doing what it had to do to win. This wasn't like a 20 to 13 game where, where they got a pick six to seal it or whatever. This was like DJ has to go out and win the game. Um, they scored 38 points in regulation. The, they were able to move the ball. Now, Wake aimed the 86 Bears. I get that on defense. They had, I think, three defensive backs out with injury, including their best defensive back, their best corner. But they did what they needed to do. Clemson kind of went over a top 25 team on the road. A good, uh, They're 4-0. They got a big one this week against NC State at home. Um, but I was very impressed with how DJ played. Yeah, I agreed. Um it's like you mentioned, just a ton of flack coming into the air, and you know we were we were waiting for this game because we we had a feeling that Clemson was going to have to score a lot of points in order to beat Wake Forest, um, especially with the guys that were out in their secondary too. Um, but no, I think kudos to him, and I think kudos to Dallas Sweeney for. I think a, the question every week he gets in the press conference is, is there any consideration of pulling DJU? And he's been steadfast not just in support of him, but also their, their offensive game plan. And um, they were great uh, uh, on Saturday. No question. And I was happy they were great because I took the over team total 33 and a half and that hit by like the third quarter. So boy, oh boy, <laughs> man. I, so Clemson goes up 14, nothing in that game. And I text you. I'm like, all right, I'm done watching this game. This is done. <laughs> I had Clemson minus seven. I was like, this is going to be easy because, and we were, we, we would have talked about this last week, but Clemson owns Wake Forest. Yes, I believe they had beaten Wake. Dabo's never lost to Wake awesome. as a head coach. Uh, they won the last four games by, I think, 38 points. Like, just own them. It's a terrible matchup for Wake because the offensive line cannot contain Clemson's defensive line, and the delayed RPO doesn't work. And they have to throw the ball 70 times, and they can't do it. Wake's best team last year got drubbed in Death Valley, and they won the ACC Atlantic. So I'm seeing 14 nothing. I'm like, oh, this is done. And then all of a sudden, Wake starts chipping away, chipping away. They go up 28-20. I'm going, yes. what the heck is going on here? Sam Hartman's a baller, man. He is so good. He is such a good college quarterback. I don't think he has NFL potential, but, like, he's just fun. And Wake plays a fun offense, man. They play mm-hmm. in a lot of fun games. Wake is Wake is crazy. I bet on them a lot last year, too. Their, their games are, are insane. Anyway, so, all right, you're uh, – you're next. Them along with UNC, it's just over. You just yeah. you just take the over. And they day. play each other this year. <laughs> yes, and it's they a conference game. It's a conference game. The over under could be like eighty. Like you might get like an <laughs> Ole Miss kind of eighty. Like last year they had some eighties. You might yes. get an eighty over under. I can't wait. Um, but uh, staying around, um, staying in the SEC or not the SEC, the ACC. Um, my stock down, this one's probably an obvious one. I'm assuming you have this one too, but on the other side of the division, the Miami hurricanes, Ooh. uh, the complete opposite of fun. They are, uh, kind of miserable. To watch. <laughs> they, uh, they lose to, Hey, home, hometown school, shout out to Nashville's premier public university in middle Tennessee state, even though it's an hour South in Murfreesboro. Um, that's how they advertise themselves. I just laugh at that every time in the airport. Genius, genius marketing campaign. Love that. <laughs> hey, come to Nashville and like a kid from a kid from Arizona shows up. He's like, wait, I still, it's an hour away. What? 
hour away. Yeah, in Murfreesboro. Um, the big sprawling metropolis of Murfreesboro. But um, um, shout out to them. But Miami, man, ugly. We were we were texting about this game all day. I saw it was 10 nothing. But also, I look, it's 31 to 10, Middle Tennessee State. Yeah. And it wasn't like they were having these fluke fumble recoveries or uh, special teams. They were just throwing the ball and running the ball all over the damn place on a Miami defense that's supposed to be really good. Um, and then you have the drama on the other side of the ball where Tyler Van Dyke gets benched yep. halfway through the game. This is the guy who was the ACC Rookie of the Year last year. And you just go after the, the press conference. Chris Paul's just kind of out of, an, out of answers. She's like, yeah. He's like, who knows who's going to start next week? Um, you know, Jake Garcia, they said, played well enough to have himself in the conversation. It's just, like we said, the big plays on defense. I think they gave up two plays over 70 yards and a 98 yard play. They got stuffed on fourth and goal. And then the very next play gave up a 98 yard passing touchdown. It's, and this is coming off a game. You go to Texas A&M, who I still don't know if they're if how good or not they are. Uh, How do you think A&M feels scoring 17 points at home and Middle Tennessee put up 45 on the road? This this Middle Tennessee State team at their first game of the year got beat by 37 points to James Madison, who just got elevated to FBS this year, and they got smoked. So kudos to them for rebounding. But man, oh man, uh, look, these losses sometimes happen, especially under a first-year head coach. You're changing a bunch of stuff. Uh, it can't happen, but man, oh man, Miami, like you can't be losing these games. It's the first time ever they lost a game as a 25 plus point favorite ever. And it wasn't close. Again, there are some upsets where it's a little fluky or maybe, uh, the favorite has three or four turnovers or the underdog hits big plays. And then there are upsets like what Miami had that program, man, there's something, something's got to be done there. You watch those games and the stadium is a quarter full. There's no energy. It's, it's just dead there. And I can't imagine being a recruit and being like, this is what I'm going to play for. This is what I'm going to be. Well, that was the big story. Tyler Van Dyke the week before does an interview with Barstool sports and says that he likes playing on the road better because he actually gets a college atmosphere when he goes. Because I know, I believe Hard Rock Stadium's like 25 minutes from yeah. the campus of, of Miami. And like you mentioned, uh, Ryan, you, you mentioned a lot with Nebraska, just kind of how some programs just kind of have a stench to them. Yeah. That's just really hard. Miami has, has had that now for the better part of a, of a decade. They've had a couple good years, but otherwise it's been crap like this. Anytime you get buy-in, they... They lose by double we, digits to an F to a G five team. We almost had the the uh, X team is back trifecta lose this week. Miami loses, Texas loses, USC almost lost. Yes, to uh, Oregon State. So I had Miami. I I was kind of doing um, a duel of like big money coaches stock down because Mel Tucker, Michigan State. They were yikes, man! <laughs> Thirty four to seven. Minnesota loses its its best receiver, Chris Autumn Bell, for the season. And this is Minnesota's, like, first test, right? Yes. They had beaten New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado, which is Colorado's, like, maybe a good Big Sky team at this point. I, I truly don't know if they're – I don't know if, if Colorado would win the Big Sky. I don't know if they probably lose to Montana or Montana. It would, I, don't, I don't think Colorado wins. So, anyway, everyone has questions about Minnesota. I 
pretty sure Michigan State was favored. If not, the line was like within three points. Yeah. And they just get boat raced at home by Minnesota and Tanner Morgan. And they're, they they make Tanner Morgan. Tanner Morgan threw for 268 yards. Mo Ibrahim ran for 103. They were never in that game. And Minnesota just blows the doors off them. And you're Michigan State. You're like, hey, we paid $95 million guaranteed for this guy to be 2-2 two and because two, they lost to Washington the week before. They got blown up by Washington the week before. So big money coaches, Cristobal, Tucker. You know, Lucas, it's almost like – if you get a big if you get a big new contract, it's not like you improve much as a coach. It's it's kind of almost like how when uh, LSU maybe has interest in you and your school says we can't lose you, you're seven and zero. Let's lock you up for ten years. It's almost like you don't get significantly better as a coach. No, and and it could be. We all kind of thought Michigan State was kind of going to regress to the mean because this was a bad. This was the worst pass defense in the country last year. They were, as uh, as Mel Tucker said at his press conference at Big Ten Media Days, they were dead ass last in passing coverage, and they're still awful. Michael Penix, you mentioned, threw all over them, uh, and Tanner Morgan uh, looked like Aaron Rodgers on uh, on Saturday. Um, but kudos to Minnesota. I I had them as a stock up, as much as that pains me to say. I know our friend Dakota, who's a big Gophers fan. It's just going to love this. Probably will record this and play this the rest of the week. Um, but uh, they, they've looked really good. I mean, yes, I, I don't know if Michigan State's any good. Michigan State, is, by the way, has to play Maryland <laughs> this week. Uh, so oh, no. <laughs> just be, oh, no. Just another awful week for their secondary. But, uh, but no, Minnesota, we mentioned Moe Rahim has been great. Tanner Morgan. Looks like to be kind of back to his form when Kurt Sharaka was there in 2019. But, I mean, their defense just gets after it. This is still pretty good Michigan State offense, and they could not do anything. They, I don't even think they scored till late in the fourth quarter. Um, so right now, I mean, we, we talked about how kind of pitiful the Big Ten West has looked. Minnesota has, has looked everything the part of being the favorite right now. Now that, that could change towards the end of the year. They still have – uh, you know, wrote, they still have to play Penn State, I believe. They still have to go on the road to Wisconsin. They still have Iowa. Um, they're still going to be tough games. But right now, they, they're they easily the favorite. It's hard to argue not that they're not the favorite in the West right now. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm done. Okay. So. okay. Um, yeah. I – it's 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 hard because we're starting to make determinations about teams, and we still aren't sure how good those teams – have yeah. like that have played them are right. We know Colorado's bad. Michigan State could be six and six or five and seven. Like we don't know. Yeah. We might look back, but no doubt through four games, you play who's on your schedule. You play who the conference schedules for you. There's like, Minnesota scheduled the Colorado game probably twelve years ago, and Colorado was decent, and they thought, oh yeah, we're gonna get a good. And no, no, you're not. So <laughs> it it'll be interesting to see. The Big Ten West is fascinating. Um, one of my uh, so my my stock down is is going to be Brian Harson, um, because this is stemming a little bit because I I had him as a stock down last week too on my notes and I was like oh you know what that's still fitting um, they get <laughs> not competitive forty one twelve just terrible and then they played one of the most disastrous football games I've ever seen against Missouri um, for how fun Wake Forest Clemson was Auburn Missouri was the opposite so. Auburn scores 14 points in the first quarter. Missouri scores 14 points in the second quarter. Neither team scores again until overtime. 
um, Missouri with like a minute left completes a long pass to like the five yard line. And then Eli Drinkowitz decides to just sit on it and line up a field goal. So they take two knees. Auburn has one timeout left. They get the clock down to four seconds. They line up the kicker straight and the kick goes wide, right? The, the kid pushes it, misses it. We, we go to overtime. Auburn gets the ball in overtime. Robbie Ashford throws an interception. That's ruled a pick on the field. Replay review overturned it. It was not a pick. I get that. But it initially was ruled an interception for Missouri. Uh, The Auburn kicker on the first field goal attempt misses. Missouri's offsides. Gets gets to kick again. Nails it. Auburn 17-14. Missouri on the second play of overtime breaks a long run. I forget who the running back's name is. He's number three. He's going to score. It's over. Auburn's going to lose. Brian Harson's fired. We're talking about Brian Harson at the top of the podcast. It's going to happen. Finally, Brian Harson is free of Auburn. And the kid changes hands at the two-yard line and loses the ball out of the end zone. And it's, and, it's, and it's a touchback. And Auburn wins the game on that. The dumbest, one of the dumbest, like, final sequences I've ever seen watching college football. And that's saying something. <laughs> Regardless, the Auburn thing is not working. They play LSU this weekend. I think they're going to lose by a lot because LSU is actually playing pretty well. Uh, that team has no life. They have no energy. They're not running Tank Bigsby for some reason. Um, I believe TJ Finley and Zach Calzada are hurt. Missouri's not very good. No. And Auburn, the fact that Auburn Auburn should have lost that game, and Brian Harston should probably not be the coach anymore. Um, the next game he loses, I think he he will get fired. So Brian Harson is my stock down because that's not gonna it's not gonna work. It's over. Well, they were. I know. And I think it was um, Bruce. Was it Bruce Feldman who was saying that? I think he yeah. came out and said that like basically, if he lost that game, he was done. Like it yeah. was already. Feldman came out with a report on Big Noon Sunday that if Brian Harson loses today, he's probably gonna be fired tomorrow. Or sorry, loses Saturday, fired Sunday. Oh, by the way, was it was it Nathaniel Pete? The running back from Mizzou that fumbled. I believe it. so. I believe okay. so. Um, but no, like you mentioned, kind of just it's it feels like very similar to the last situation. Scott Frost, Herm Edwards, Jeff Collins. It feels like the writing was just on the wall before this year. And we know that the boosters wanted him out as soon as like January this past season. Um, but it's just bad, and you can tell the players know it. They just look like they want to just mail through the season get in the transfer portal and get the hell out of there. Um, and you were probably playing Mizzou might be the worst team in the SEC this year. Potentially. Yeah. If we're, I mean, it's, it's, and, it's summer Vanderbilt. Let's just say I already bet Georgia plus 20, uh, minus 28. On the road <laughs> at Missouri. But let's just say you know, I, I, I might lock it up on the pod. Anyway, the, go on. the thing is, is though, I think if, if Harson does get let go, I think he's going to have, I think he's going to have opportunities next season. I just think this was, I think a lot of people saw this was just not a good fit for either side. And I think he's more closely tuned to what he was at Boise state than what he is at Auburn. But uh, yeah, this could be the week that it, that it finally does in, uh, in death Valley. I I think that game's in death Valley this week, Um, but this week could be it for him. Uh, It's actually at Jordan Hare, but I don't think it it matters. Auburn's an eight and a half point dog at home against an LSU team that is like, might be the worst LSU team, like in the next five years, basically. I would like to see is when was the last time Auburn was a, was a home dog more than once in a season. They were a home dog against Penn state. 
and now they're going to be a home dog against LSU. A more than a touchdown home dog against LSU. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just not not looking good for Brian Larson. Um, I was going to say one more stock down I had was um, – Oh, uh, so we talked about Nebraska. Speaking of uh, job coaches or coaching searches, we talked about Nebraska. Uh, not a good week for teams that that beat Nebraska, specifically Power Five teams that beat Nebraska. Yeah, I was getting um, there. You had you had Northwestern uh, losing to not Miami uh, of Florida, but Miami of Ohio, uh, seventeen to fourteen. Um, and then we saw Oklahoma, who we were all high on after they just completely rampaged Nebraska. They get home, and not only do they lose to K-State, but the quarterback for K-State, Adrian Martinez, former Nebraska four-year starter, has maybe the game of his career. What a day for Adrian Martinez. He was my stock up. Oh, my goodness. He was unreal. He had, I think, 268 yards passing, like three passing touchdowns. He ran for over 160, including uh, a crazy play um, towards the end of the game. It was third and 16. And he runs for like 60 yards and takes him all the way down to the two-yard line. Just an unbelievable day. To, day. So, But hurtful if you're watching for Nebraska because not only has it been a rough season, but the teams that have beaten you, specifically Northwestern, <laughs> not looking great uh, on their end as well. And that's the thing with Northwestern with me. I think that sticks out the most. Oklahoma, look, they've lost to K-State three out of the last four years and have been fine. This could be just another bad year for Pat Fitzgerald and them. They've already lost, uh, you know, they lost to Southern Illinois two weeks ago, an FCS team. They lost to Duke when they were down three scores. Um, so we thought it might have been a, after that win against Nebraska, maybe it's another bowl team at minimum for Pat Fitzgerald. It might be another three and nine, four and eight. They look terrible. Northwestern yeah. looks legitimately like worst team in the Big Ten, terrible. Worse yeah. in Indiana, worse in Rutgers, like worse team in the Big Ten, terrible. Uh, yeah, Adrian Martinez, I had him as a stock up. What a performance. I'll go quickly, two more stock ups. How about some undefeated ACC love? Syracuse and Florida State, both 4 and up. Syracuse has pulled out two games. They beat Purdue by three in a crazy game two weeks ago. They beat they beat Virginia by two in the Carrier Dome uh, on, on a Friday night last week. Um, Dino Babers, 4-0. They, they play Wagner, I believe, this weekend or yes. next weekend. And they are, if they, uh, Go ahead. I was going to say, they, I think you were about to say what I was about to say, but it's going to hit their win total. Already. They hit the over win total. They hit the over win total on October 1st if they beat Wagner. And they beat 5-0. Ranks here, Q2 yeah. cowards. And then Florida State, Mike Norvell, 4-0. Florida State looks good. Yeah. I mean, win on the road against Louisville. You you drub uh, Boston College at home. They have three wins over Power Five opponents. They beat LSU, Louisville, and Boston College already. Mm-hmm. Like that's a really I'm shocked they weren't ranked after they beat Louisville with two Power Five wins after last week. Um, Mike Norvell, you know, a rough first two years for him there. They seem to have righted it. Jordan Travis is playing really good football. They get Wake this week. That'll be an interesting one. That'll be interesting. A lot Wake of big kind of. I had good games in the ACC Atlantic this yeah. week with that one in NC State and Clemson. It's a great segue, Lucas, unless you have any more stock up, stock downs. Anything else you want to hit on? Uh, let me see. Did I have – oh, stock up. I had one more. Um want to give kudos out to, to Baylor. Um, yeah. Re- they've rebounded pretty nicely since that, that loss up in BYU. They go on the road 
this is kind of a the Big Twelve just is this is why I love the Big Twelve. It's just a complete crapshoot here. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, you know, Oklahoma, who looked like they were the favorite, they lose this week. Texas loses in overtime uh, to Texas Tech. Uh, and Baylor, who won the, the who won the conference last year, don't think got a lot of talk. Um, they could just go on the road, and the final score was thirty one to to twenty four. But I think this was a seventeen point game with like six minutes left in it, um, and just went up and handled their business against Baylor. Blake Shippen looks really good. Um, that decision, especially because Jerry Bohannon, I believe, plays for uh, for South Florida. Yeah, South Florida. Um, he's been terrible. Uh, well, South Florida themselves have just been awful, but, um, Blake Shippen, they, uh, I think we just have to give kudos to Dave Aranda. Their defense looks very, very good again this year. Um, yeah, and three and one, um, with, uh, I think a chance to potentially make a hard case to repeat potentially this year if things break, uh, break their way. So, uh, my last stock up was to Baylor. Yeah, they got a big one this weekend. They'll play Oklahoma State, and we'll uh, we'll get some get to some of those games uh, here now. All right, as we do every week, I will run you through the TV schedule, then I'll pounce it to Lucas for uh, some of the games that are catching his eye. A uh, couple big ones on Friday: Washington at UCLA, kind of an interesting one, seven thirty p.m. Pacific time on ESPN. Uh, the noon slate on Saturday, October first, big noon kickoff, Michigan. Uh, at Iowa on Fox, Kentucky at Ole Miss on ESPN, Oklahoma at TCU on ABC, Purdue at Minnesota on ESPN2. As we move to the uh, the, the 3.30 Eastern slate, Wake Forest visits Florida State on ABC. Northwestern is, is going to lose by 40 points at Penn State, 12.30 on ESPN. Oklahoma State at Baylor, 12, uh, 3.30 Eastern time on Fox. Uh, the CBS game of the week, Alabama travels to Fayetteville to take on Arkansas, 3.30 Eastern on CBS. We'll move to the evening, evening slate. Uh, NC State will uh, go to Clemson, 7.30 Eastern on ABC. 7 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, LSU at Auburn at Jordan-Hare. Uh, West Virginia visits Texas at 7.30 on FS1, Indiana at Nebraska, 7.30 on uh, the Big Ten. I also forgot to mention uh, kind of an interesting game in the Big Ten. Illinois at Wisconsin, uh, noon Eastern on the Big Ten Network. Rounding things out, Arizona State will visit USC, 10.30 p.m. Oh, Eastern on, e- on ESPN. Just, uh... just go to sleep early, please. Please, go, <laughs> everyone go to sleep. Lu- Lucas, I know it's 9.30 for you. If you and Hannah have plans, don't cancel them. I, I, I swear you'll be fine. Uh, Stanford visits Oregon. 11 p.m. Eastern on FS1. Lucas, a lot of big games. Um, you mentioned some in the ACC. We got a big, big, big game in the Big 12. Uh, a couple big games in the Big 10 out over by you. Where to, Where do you want to go first? What's catching your eye? Well, first off, you mentioned Friday night. You mentioned uh, Washington at UCLA. This is UCLA's first big test. They're undefeated, 4-0, but their schedule has been probably outside <laughs> So you know, bad. Minnesota and uh, in Michigan for undefeated teams maybe be, be the worst Power Five schedule we've seen. At least, at least uh, Minnesota played a Power Five opponent, um, and so has Michigan at this point. But uh, um, so interested to see what they do, especially at home. Hopefully, there's more than you know twenty five thousand for this game uh, at the Rose Bowl. Um, 
another interesting game too, I think is, is San Diego State at Boise State that night. Typically these are two really been the two faces of the Mountain West conference, I feel like, for the last five to ten years. And both to this year are just not very good. Um San Diego State's having a very down year and Boise State were time they lost they lost by seventeen to UTEP last week. Um they're two and two. Um I'm just interested to see there, especially with the situation at Boise State, Andy Avalos, it doesn't look good if he does not turn around uh, this this year. Um, so interested to see kind of the upset of that game. You mentioned Saturday, the early morning slots kind of loaded um, with, uh, you know, Michigan at Iowa. Will Iowa score more than 10 points um, against uh, a <laughs> good defense? Um and will Michigan really? They're another big test for them. Uh, road. It's not a road game at Kinnick. Thank goodness for them. But then uh, Kentucky at Ole Miss. We were just talking about is Kentucky. Are they the number two in the SC East? Is Tennessee kind of overtaking them? Um, and Ole Miss. This is really the first challenge that they've really had this year too. Uh, when you look at their uh, their non-con, um, you know Texas Tech at Kansas State. That's going to be on ESPN Plus. Um, both teams coming off huge upsets last week. Can any of them build on it? Can Kansas State show if they're going to be someone in the Big 12? You mentioned Illinois at Iowa or Illinois at Wisconsin. It's Brett Bielema's first time coming back to uh, Camp Randall since he, he left back in 2012. I'll say this. But, Wisconsin needs a win, man. Yes. Like, I, from, an out, from, like, from an outsider's perspective, Wisconsin needs a win. Wisconsin can certainly still win the Big Ten West. Um, Illinois have some momentum, man. That defense is real good. Granted, they've played like Virginia and Wyoming and, and yeah. Chattanooga and stuff, but like, um, that will be a, that will be a fun one. I'll get to that here in a, a, a little bit for some picks. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I desperately need a win. It's been a, a brutal last couple of days. I've been off, tried to stay off Twitter because it's just exhausting. Every game with Wisconsin right now is like, if they win, the program's moving. See, it's moving. And we have to have like a directional a program, directional talk <laughs> after every game. And it's getting pretty damn exhausting. That so sounds terrible. It's terrible. Um, so looking forward to continuing that conversation on Saturday. Um, Oregon State at Utah. I think another interesting game in the Pac-12. It's on the Pac-12 network. So we'll not have a chance to watch that game, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You mentioned Wake Forest at Florida State. Iowa State at Kansas. I'm Kansas to me. Like I've been, we've been Lance Leipold guys forever. But if can't right now, this I never thought I'd be saying this. If Kansas is playing, I'm gonna have at least uh, a heartbeat on them if they're playing. It's gonna be, it's gonna be one of the channels that I'm watching, especially against a pretty decent Iowa State team. Could they go five and zero? Could you imagine that? A potential five and zero Kansas. Can we just Wait. talk for a second about that Kansas isn't ranked and Ole Miss is 14? Ole Miss Why? has wins over Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Troy, and I forget the fourth team, but it's not a Power Five team. Kansas has beaten Houston, the yeah. power, the 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 favorite in the AAC on the road. They won at West Virginia, who just went into Lane Stadium and beat Virginia Tech, and they beat Duke, who was undefeated. They're four zero yeah. with three with. Two power five wins and a really good G five win, and they're somehow gonna be not a, ranked. Houston's going to be a power five team next year. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. 12, it's just 
No, I agree. I mean, the AP polls are so dumb because if you don't lose, you just you keep your spot, and yes. then it's it's just like stationary. It doesn't really make sense. And because honestly, like another team I would have argued for that probably could be ranked is Maryland too, even though they lost to to Michigan. They went on the road. They spot. Uh, they spot uh, Michigan seven points right off at the opening. They muff the opening snap and. Michigan gets the ball starting at the Maryland 10 and scores on their first play. But then Maryland has the lead, I believe, at halftime. And it's a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. I thought they played 12. I mean, they just got ran over by Blake Corum. But uh, they they host Michigan State. So I'm interested to see how Maryland does respond. We talked about the issues Michigan State has had in the secondary. We know that Maryland can throw the ball um, and can score with their receiving core. Uh, led by Rakeem Jarrett and with uh, Talia Tugabailoa. Um, I'm interested to see how they respond to that games at home. This should be a winnable game for them. Like if they're taking a step forward under Mike Loxley, this is a game you should win. Because um, I do think they should be the fourth best team in the Big Ten East um, behind Michigan, Ohio State, and Penn State. Um, another interesting game too is A&M at Mississippi State. Uh, yeah. A&M, big win a win that they probably needed to have last week, especially Jimbo Fisher. Um, I still am not impressed with them offensively. I mean, Max Johnson's fine, but like, absolutely not. He just had like 150 yards. They still, and we just found out, uh, is it a not, um, they're leading their best wide receiver. Um, um, Aeneas Smith. Aeneas Smith. It's going to be out for the season. Um, and you got a Mississippi State team that I think is looking for a big win. They they got beat up pretty badly against uh, LSU a couple weeks ago um, and then beat Bowling Green last week. That should be an interesting game just over the fight over uh, the SEC or SEC West. Um, yeah, otherwise those late games, you know, obviously I think NC State at Clemson is the biggest game because I think that's going to decide who's going to represent that conference or that side of the conference in the ACC. Can NC State get over the hump? They beat Clemson last year, but then they couldn't win the Coastal because they still lost to Wake Forest. Um, this We've been hyping this as NC State's year. If they're going to get over the hump, it's going to be this year. Can they do it? And can they do it on the road at Clemson with DJ Ungole, who is playing his best football of his career and is coming off a five-touchdown performance? Yeah. Yeah, um, you touched on a lot of the ones I was going to. Alabama-Arkansas, I think, is interesting. Um, Alabama's been blowing out teams that they really should be, but when they play a team with the Pulse, I'm interested to see, is it a you know 21-point win, 28-point win? Arkansas, that game could be so much bigger than it is. I mean, imagine if that kick had gone in, yeah. right? Or if, or if Arkansas, which was up, I think, 14-0 or 10-0 at one point on Texas A&M, actually finished that game. Right. Um, well, and especially the way Alabama's played in their last how many true road games, too. Right. That's a good so, point. I'm really fascinated with Wake and, and Florida State. I mean, this is a really good opportunity for Mike Norvell to get a ranked win. Um, and I think they have a good chance to do it. They're seven-point favorites. Wake kind of put all the energy into the big home game against Clemson on ABC and not that it's a, a letdown game for a team like Wake Forest, but we'll see what they have left after a really emotional double overtime uh, loss. LSU-Auburn's interesting. It could be the last time we see Brian, ha- Brian Harson. LSU, I think, is a team that's getting better. 
They had a nice one over Mississippi State a couple weeks ago. They're three and one, three straight wins since the opening uh, game loss to Florida State. Um, what else we got here? Um, Stanford and Oregon. I mean, Oregon had a nice win. We didn't really talk about them. Oregon, nice oh, win yeah. up, at, um, up in Pullman. Oh, weird, kind of crazy game. Especially weird game. Especially if you had uh, Wazoo covering by five and a half. <laughs> it was a, a roller coaster ride. Boy, what a roller coaster ride that is. <laughs> it was 44-41. Um, man, uh, interesting. Uh, any other games you want to touch on before we want to some picks? Uh no, I think we touched on all of them all. It's actually a pretty good, very good slate. You could already make an argument; it might be the oh, best slate we've had Oklahoma this State year. Baylor, real quick. Oklahoma State Baylor. Oh. Um, maybe the game of the year so far in the Big Twelve. I know Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas have gotten, but Oklahoma very quietly is four and zero. They're number nine in the country. They they keep getting better. Um, they go to Baylor, which is number sixteen. So I believe it's the two highest ranked. Um, we'll see where hopefully, yeah. So Oklahoma's 18, so it's the two highest ranked Big 12 teams. So, um, winner really takes an inside track to mm-hmm. the Big 12 championship game as it is a round robin. You play nine games, so you, uh, this is a big one for uh, Oklahoma State, big one for Baylor, and a big one for all of us that have o- on, over eight and a half Oklahoma State wins. <laughs> big one for well, us. Uh, I am interested to see, especially because. Spencer Sanders has looked really, really good this year for Oklahoma State. Even though he was the he was first team All Big Twelve last year, I think there were still a lot of doubters. If especially with we knew Oklahoma State was probably going to regress a lot defensively on having one of the best units in college football last year. Um, but I, mean, I I think going on the road, I believe last year this was a game. Did Baylor win this game? They won, obviously, it's a rematch of the Big 12 game. I know Baylor won that, but during the regular season, I can't remember if Oklahoma State Stand or by. Baylor won that game. Um, for me. What's that? Uh, I'm looking it up right now. Oklahoma State won in Stillwater 24-14. Gotcha. So, obviously, um, yeah, their first matchup since the Big 12 championship game. Uh, a lot, Ryan. I was obviously very high on on Baylor um, after their win uh, against Iowa State. Um, and I think this is really Oklahoma State's first big test of the year um, for them to see if they are legit. So I think that is a that's an excellent game. That's two thirty Central Time um, on Fox. Um, a little right. surprised that was not chosen for big noon kickoff, but dude, for some reason these networks love Michigan, man. I'm pretty sure Michigan's first three games were on ABC and then Michigan back-to-back weeks now against Maryland and Iowa, Iowa. is the, is the, uh, the big new kickoff game. That is nuts to me. I, I get it at the beginning of the, like if they pick these games at the beginning of the year, like you're probably looking at probably, okay, Michigan, Iowa, they're probably both going to be ranked. It's at Kinnick. So there's the chance of an upset, but um, man, Oklahoma state, Baylor probably is the second best game of the day behind NC State Clemson. Agreed, man. Agreed. All right. Let's get to some weekly picks. Just to recap, Lucas has had he's had five straight winning weeks. Lucas has not had an under 500 week so far. Two and one last week for Lucas. He hit the over 55 in UNC Notre Dame. He hit Arkansas plus two and a half. Uh, the loss was Texas minus seven, an outright loser at Tech. Lucas, uh, so far on the season, through five weeks, 
including week zero, is 11 and four. Uh, Ryan has now had back to back losing weeks. Um, a bit of a bad beat, I'm going to say it, with Clemson minus seven at Wake. Double overtime. If Clemson hits the uh, two point conversion, we cover. Uh, the other loss was USC minus six and a half at Oregon State. I thought USC would blow out Oregon State. So kudos to Jonathan Smith. Kudos to that program. I thought USC was was far and away better than them, and I was wrong. Um, I did uh, hit on Missouri plus seven and a half at Auburn. Missouri should have won that game. I will never be betting Missouri again. They are atrocious. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. All right. Uh, Ryan on the season is six, eight, and one. And as a podcast, we are 17, 12, and one. Lucas, uh, why don't you give us your upset of the week first? Um, so my upset of the week, I kind of talked about it a little bit um, earlier in the pod, but I'm actually going to take Kentucky plus six and a half at Ole Miss. Um, Ole Miss really has not been challenged once this year. This is a team that gave up this past week against Tulsa, gave up over 260 yards on the ground, including six and a half yards per carry against Tulsa. Uh, Kentucky's coming in. They haven't been able to move the ball a ton this year. Um, obviously, Will Levis has come in very hyped. But the rumor is that they are going to be getting Chris Rodriguez, an all-SEC running back. He's probably their best offensive weapon um, back from suspension. Um, and I look for this to at least be a close game. I don't know if Kentucky's going to win the game outright. It is going to be tough to get a road win in Oxford. Um, but we've seen Kentucky kind of be battle-tested already. They already uh, went to Florida to the Swamp and took care of business against Florida. So I'm going to take Kentucky six and a half, plus six and a half on the road against Ole Miss. I like that. I don't think Ole Miss is the 14th best team in the country, but no. that's just me. Uh, I am taking Kansas plus three and a half against Iowa State. Um, Kansas is undefeated. They're at home. They're getting three and a half points. I, I get three and a hook. Iowa State uh, got beat pretty badly by Baylor at home uh, last week. I think Baylor's pretty good. But I think this could be a close game, and maybe a field goal decides it. Maybe Kansas loses. Um, but I like the fact I'm getting three and a half with an unbeaten team at home. So I'm going to take Kansas plus three and a half. Uh, Lucas, your pick of the week. My pick. Uh, not going with my lock because I would sound like too much of a homer, but I am taking Wisconsin minus six and a half against Illinois. A um, couple reasons. Kind of similar situation last year, Wisconsin, when they went on the road to play Illinois. I think they were two and three at the time. They'd barely beat Army. And they, the line opened up at 12 and a half, and I believe it went all the way down to seven before uh, before kickoff. I took it at seven. They won by 17. It was a very good Wisconsin win. Look, Illinois is better this year. I don't think there's an argument about that. I think they're better offensively. Tommy DeVito. Um, at least is giving them competent quarterback play. Um, they have one of the best running backs in the Big Ten in Chase Brown. Um, so they're obviously going to want to run the run the football. And you mentioned it too, Ryan. Their defense is pretty damn good. Uh, Ryan Walters does a terrific job as their defensive coordinator. So I don't see this being uh, a scoring fest, especially the way Wisconsin's offense um, has been playing. But I do think they're at least a touchdown better than Illinois. If they play up to their talent, they should win this game by a couple of scores. And I think they're going to be eager. It's, it's a home game, too. It's Brett Bielema's first time coming back. I'm sure Paul Chris is going to want to go really hard to try to win this game. Um, so, like I said, I think they're going to be focused, wanting to get off what was just, just a god-awful night in Columbus this past week. 
Um, and that's all we'll talk about it. Um, but uh, uh, I'll take. <laughs> I'll take Wisconsin. Only, it only took us an hour and 15 minutes for us to, to even broach to bring this. it up. There was nothing to talk. That's the thing. Normally a Wisconsin, Ohio state game. We're talking, we're, we're, there's some, there's some, uh, there's some hype. There's something. There was nothing this week. Nobody in their right mind thought that was going to be a good game. And uh, I hated that. It was six. Th- I wish it was an 11 o'clock. Yeah. I, um, like, I would have liked to see Clemson and wake forest be at the yes. 730 Eastern game, to be honest. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. I get it. These networks want the big brands, right? Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia. Like, they're, like Georgia, for example, CBS has a doubleheader next week The the or in Oct- on October 8th. The night game is Alabama A&M. Okay. The afternoon game, CBS chose Georgia-Auburn over Tennessee-LSU, which I thought was very strange. But these schools want – they the, these networks yeah. want the big brands. viewers. Yeah. Bigger viewers. So. Yeah. Uh, Lucas, good. one thing. Uh, disappointed in you. Wisconsin did not beat Illinois by 17 last year. They beat him by 24. Oh, even, oh yeah, it was 24 nothing. It was shut up. That's true. I so, thought it was 24-7. My, I was giving the Illinois some credit. You're giving Illinois some credit when they clearly did not deserve any. I do remember that because I took Wisconsin minus seven, and then I also took the under. It was like under 40, and they both hit with ease. So... You might want to do that this week, too, because I think the over-under is 44. I do not see that many points being scored. Lucas, we will uh, – do not spoil anything. We'll get to the over-under <laughs> here. In a, we'll get to the over-under here in a second, buddy, okay? My pick of the week, I am laying a big number with Georgia. I'm going Georgia minus 28 against Missouri. Um, Georgia, in their two kind of big games, right, they blew out Oregon 49-3, to and they blew out South Carolina on the road 48-7. to Georgia plays pissed off. They play angry. They play with the chip on their shoulder. Now, little sluggish against Samford. They won 33-0. Little sluggish against Kent State. They won, I think, 39-22 or 49-22, mm-hmm. one of those. Um, I think they'll probably be hearing a little bit of like, hey, why didn't you beat Kent State by more? You know, SEC East opponent on the road. I think they're going to come out and blow the doors off Missouri. The Missouri team I watched against Auburn is is not good. Brady Cook's not good. They have a hard time scoring points. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not afraid to lay it. I don't love taking big numbers, but with a couple teams this year, I'm I, I'm regretting not doing it more. So I'm I'm gonna lay it with Georgia. Minus twenty eight at Missouri. Minus twenty eight. I might go in on that one with you. Um, I might bet that because that seems a little. Because I also think Missouri might be the worst team in in the entire SEC. Um, right, talking about quick. teams. Well, talking about teams that can't score for my for my lock. Yeah. Um, I am going to be taking Michigan minus ten and a half over Iowa. Um, look, I get this game is at Kinnick, um, but it's not a night game, which is a huge factor. I know um, I, I know you texted this to me earlier in the day, Ryan. What I believe what I was like six five and one or something in their last six games against top five. AP ranked teams, yeah. including last year when they beat uh, Penn State. Yeah, I just I don't see it. Uh, this is a team that can barely. They scored twenty seven last week against Rutgers, and two of those were defensive scores: a fumble and a pick six. This is a team that only scored seven points against San Diego or South or South Dakota State, against Iowa State. I don't even remember the score against them against Nevada because that game didn't get over till four in the morning. 27-0. 27-0. 
Um, but Nevada's awful. I would have said Nevada's, Nevada's awful, terrible. Um, and now they're going to be playing a team that this probably the best team they'll play. Well, they play Ohio State in a few weeks too. But this by far the best team they've played this year. Michigan's going to be able to score. Look, Iowa's defense is legit. It's one of the best defenses in the country. Wouldn't be shocked if they can hold uh, Michigan to 24-ish points. I just don't think they're going to score. And I think after a while, that defense is just going to get run down. Because we know what Michigan's going to do with Blake Corum. They're going to try to run the ball and probably run it some more. And then try to throw it over the top of your head with, with J.J. McCarthy. So I just think this might be a close game heading into the third quarter. And then I just think Iowa's defense loosens it up. Unless their offense can show something to give them hope. I just think after a while, the dam's going to break. So that's why I'm going Michigan minus 10 and a half um, on the road uh, against the Hawkeyes. Yeah, I uh, I mentioned this to you off air. I was like, man, should I take Iowa? Am I crazy to take Iowa plus 10 and a half? And I am for sure. You're absolutely right. Uh, <laughs> all right. Hey. Who knows? We could be going back to this. It's like it, it's against every every logic. Like just because the fact that it's just Iowa, a ten point dog at home, nine times out of ten, I would probably say you should take the points. I just I don't know if they're going to hold up this week, but we'll see. We will also really find out how good Iowa's defense is because yep. they played Rutgers, Iowa State, South Dakota State, and Nevada. Like again, <laughs> this this is the kind of the time of the year where you find out how like. Illinois' defense, for example. How good is Illinois' defense? They've played really well against Wyoming, Virginia, and Chattanooga, and they gave up 20 points to Indiana, who's decent. Uh, speaking of Illinois, I'm taking the under 44. You hinted at it. I already bet it. Um, Illinois' defense, I do think, is, is, is solid. And I think Wisconsin's defense is solid. And it's two teams that don't play very fast tempo. I think it's like <sighs> – it's think it's like a you know twenty to thirteen Wisconsin win seventeen six something like that. I think Illinois could um, keep it somewhat close, but I think Wisconsin wins the game and I think they go under forty four, and I'm comfortable with it. I I don't see both teams getting to twenty. I'll just say yeah. that. So I, I think the only way it really hits over is if you have like a fluky like a fumble right or a bad bad turnovers on both sides. That could potentially happen, but neither one of these two two teams are like you mentioned. They don't play at a super fast pace, and that, neither team is very explosive. Um, so they rely on their running backs a lot to make their explosive plays for them. Now you so, say that the last time I took a Wisconsin under, they scored sixty six points against New Mexico State. No, it was Mexico State. <laughs> I, I didn't think Wisconsin had sixty six in them against anybody. Anybody, yeah. And they just blasted and, New Mexico State, and then. Well, we think New Mexico State's bad. They just blasted Hawaii by 25 points uh, the past week. So <laughs> I was looking at upsets because it was I was having a hard time picking an upset last week, and I almost picked Hawaii plus four and a half because I was like, why is New Mexico State favored? Well, that's right. why they're favored. That's why. <laughs> Atrocious. All right, man. Any any other final words here before we get out of here? Uh, no, uh, not too Maybe much. Back. Hoping to hoping to catch. Uh, as much as I can, it is my girlfriend's birthday on Saturday. She turns 31. So it might be a part where I'm I'm trying to find TVs while we're out and about um, and things like that. But uh, I think this is the best slate of games we've had this year. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm really, really excited about it. And um, hopefully we didn't lose too many viewers with our week off last week. Yeah, we'll see. We'll have to check the numbers here. All right. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Running for Roses. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. We thank you all for tuning in to another episode of Running for the Roses. For Lucas Rody. I'm Ryan Baffalucas. Have a good night and stay frosty. Everyone.